So thank you everyone for being here. Feels uh, not quite surreal. <laughs> this is uh, the last evening talk, but far from the last moment. Yeah, I still have a fair bit of our journey together ahead. Just a lot of appreciation and gratitude for your presence here and your practice. So over our days together um, so far, we've uh, explored, explored ways of relating to experience that increase well-being and reduce dukkha. And we've done that in a variety of ways through um, relaxing contraction and the push-pull on experience through easing uh, the demand yeah. letting go of it and with it also easing and letting go of uh, the demander yeah. and we've opened with um, you know Attitudes of intimacy, of spaciousness, of um, even welcoming towards a range of, of our experience, a range of appearances. And it can be uh, worthwhile yeah, this time, this part of the retreat, to reflect also on the insights that we've had. And we've all had insights. And to reflect on the nourishment that we've been offering to ourselves through uh, the way we've been showing up. And so we've seen different things. It may be moments, it may be glimpses, it may have been more sustained. But we've had some glimpses of um, the ways in which experience is fabricated, conditioned, constructed, put together. We've seen um, that perception is pliable, flexible, not fixed. And we've seen the the possibilities of opening to freedom. And so, to give a few examples of this, you know, which, which have arisen here, yeah, of perhaps, you know, turning to um, an unpleasant sensation in the body with an attitude of metta, yeah, or to a neutral sensation in the body with an attitude of metta, and seeing the experience change. That's quite some insight, just as an example of seeing, and quite a few of you have reported that today, just this unsatisfactory way of meeting experience, releasing something. It's like, what? (laughs) What's happened there? Seeing that. And so there's been different insights 
around this hall, around this uh, room. But it's kind of important to honor that they've, they've been here. The shift in how we attend to the breath. A realization that metta practice is more than enough. Yeah. So many insights. And of course, you know, as we know, uh, these insights have uh, appeared, have come together in a particular set of conditions. Yeah. Being on retreat for uh, a longer period of time. Yeah. In the, I think most of us would agree, very supportive conditions of Gaia House. Yeah. I think most of us would agree to that. Yeah. Or, you know, at home. For those online, yeah? Well, we, you know, for those online really dedicating ourselves, yeah? So that kind of power of the intention coming in as a condition. So this has all arisen within a particular set of conditions. And as we probably all know, sometimes people are surprised. (laughs) Tomorrow, conditions are going to change. Tomorrow conditions are going to change. Sometimes I say that and people say, oh, it's the last day. (laughs) I think we've given you some warning. Tomorrow conditions are changing. And kind of the the question for us is, um, can we keep exploring the practices, the insights, the ways of looking that we've cultivated here? Can we keep exploring them, applying them, living them? Can we um, open, be curious to the fact that practice isn't just something for a retreat setting or for times when we're practicing formally? And there have been quite a lot of questions. It's been very beautiful for me on this retreat. Quite a lot of questions around this. You know, how does um, how do we apply this outside of retreat? How do we apply this to meet the challenges in our personal lives um, and in our societies and on our planet? Yeah. And so this is a, yeah, it's a, it's a profound and important question yeah, to ask as part of our practice. So I hope that we can get a sense and hopefully with the talk tonight that I can give you uh, some threads to really kind of take on and to explore, you know, um, how this is a practice for life because it is a practice for our lives. It's not just a practice to do with eyes closed yeah, in stillness. And so we can begin to explore this and question this, and this is part of our journey. How are the insights that we've glimpsed and explored? How are the ways of looking and relating that we've been cultivating? How are they transferable? Yeah. How are they transferable? from one set of conditions 
to another. And I really want to say, you know, the movement from our formal meditation into life situations and back again is possible. It's possible. Not only is it possible, uh, I would say it's essential. It's essential. Essential for each of us, uh, essential for all of us. It's a movement that enriches our formal practice, deepens our understanding, and nourishes the wholesome in our own lives and in the world. So I'd like to uh, speak to this um, through uh, another one of the Buddha's greatest hits. <laughs> it's a nice way to refer to the so many lists yeah, that have been passed down to us very generously from an oral tradition. So we have these lists because lists are easy to remember or easier. So in an oral tradition, yeah, they were very useful and they're still useful for us. And so this particular um, framework has really been kind of in the background of our teachings on this retreat. Um, and it's called um, the awakening factors. Yeah, the awakening factors. And these are uh, factors, qualities that are present in an awakened mind, present in an awakened mind, uh, but they also support awakening, they support waking up uh, when they are developed. So they're there in an awakened mind, they support uh, awakening as we develop them. And they're very much uh, what we're cultivating as we walk the path, even if we've never listened to this particular album. Yeah, from the Buddha. And so I love this image of a path. Yeah, love this image of a path. Um, Because a path is something that is created by walking. Yeah. And it needs to be in use. Yeah. In order to be a path. Right? (laughs) Yeah. If a path is not walked, it disappears. <coughs> and so one thing we can uh, take here, you know, we're cultivating these factors uh, as we walk the path. And this path yeah, needs us to walk it yeah, for ourselves and for others. And recently... I remember when it was, maybe it's already quite some time ago. I, I found out something that really inspired me. Yeah. Really, really inspired me. And it's to do with one of the great loves of my life, the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And so I found out that um, the Dalai Lama, or His Holiness, as he's referred to uh, sometimes, uh, practices for four hours every day. <laughs> yeah. And I just find that so moving. Yeah. So he gets up at three. Yeah. But he goes to bed at seven. Yeah. 
important to say, I found this really inspiring as well. The Dalai Lama says he needs eight hours of sleep. That's great. So he gets up at three, goes to bed at seven, gets up at three, and practices first thing he does in the morning before he then kind of gets into all his responsibilities for the day. His first responsibility is to practice for four hours. And for me, it's such a huge inspiration, yeah? Like, of walking the path, yeah? Even HH, as we call him in India. <laughs> HH, yeah? Needs to practice, wants to practice, loves to practice, continues to cultivate the heart and mind, yeah? And so I think it can kind of bring inspiration and bring humility. You know, sometimes we feel, oh, I should be like this already. I've been practicing this long, or I've had this insight, or I should be getting it by now. And then, ah, oh, remembering that big smile. <laughs> and ah, oh, that huge heart. Yeah. That's still being nourished, still being cultivated. Yeah. That path, too, needs the walking. Yeah. And so remembering that, yeah, and seeing, yeah, the inspiration in that. And so these um, seven factors of awakening, yeah, like many, many, many aspects of the path, that actually... Um, not limited. Yeah, this is also something very beautiful about um, the Buddha's teachings, yeah, is that we have these beautiful qualities that don't have an end point. <laughs> it's not like there can be too much metta, yeah, or too much compassion, yeah, or too much joy, or too much equanimity. It's something we can continue to nourish, and I think really... Um, brings it home, yeah? this is something that is limitless and that we cultivate in ourselves and in the world. Yeah? It's not uh, separate. And similarly with the awakening factors, which I'll, I'll just mention uh, in a moment. Yeah? As I go through them, we can see they don't actually have uh, a limit. They don't have an expiry date used by. Yeah. It just, yeah. Something that we can continue to, to cultivate. So the first one is mindfulness. Yeah. That sense of presence. Yeah, the capacity to place attention intentionally. Like, that's such a miracle. <laughs> you know our minds now after these many days of retreat. And you know, the mind has a mind of its own most of the time, right? And then the capacity to actually place attention intentionally and sustain it. Even for one moment, for three breaths. That's a miracle. And it's such a powerful faculty to be able to do that. And not just randomly. Yeah, we're doing that yeah, in ways that nourish awakening, freedom, well-being. Yeah? We're choosing where to place our attention and how to sustain it. And to sustain it. The second factor is investigation. Yeah. Which 
again, it's been here from the beginning, right? I usually refer to it as interest or curiosity. A kind of questioning, that's it, ah, you know, what's here? What's here? And where is it leading? And how is it coming together? This is all the the factor of, um, of investigation. What leads to freedom and what doesn't? What leads to well-being and what doesn't? The third um, is a um, factor of energy, uh, sometimes also spoken of as enthusiasm or vitality or aliveness. Yeah? And we've been again speaking about this. You know, it needs to be there um, in balance with calm, which is coming. It's also in the list. Yeah? But that vitality that brings us back to the practice, that brings us back to the breath, that supports the investigation. So they all kind of uh, mutually support each other. The fourth is um, unworldly joy and well-being. It's a beautiful phrase from the teaching, unworldly. (laughs) So a joy, we can say, that is not dependent on an object. Sometimes meditative joy, but it doesn't only come in meditation. It's not dependent on um, an object. It's not dependent on worldly things. The joy or well-being. And then the fifth is this tranquility or calm, which also has a very deep well-being to it. So we can start to see how we were talking today in the instructions, the joy and the calm that can come, right? Today, yesterday. Yeah, these two qualities. And all of these together kind of support the gatheredness, the unification, and the harmonization of body, heart, and mind, yeah. which is the sixth factor, samadhi. Yeah. Harmonization, gatheredness, unification, body, heart, mind. The whole team together, we sometimes call it. Yeah. And the seventh factor is equanimity, yeah. which is, I mean, each of these is a huge area. <laughs> equanimity, possibly the biggest. Yeah. The steadiness and balance. And also, um, this possibility to be so centered that we are equally close to all things. Yeah. That we are equally close to all things. Yeah. You can again see it, like not getting pulled into demand and preference, but equally close, equally intimate. And so I wanted to name all of these because, um, as I've said, they've been in the background for Nathan and me with the teachings. Um, and I feel like we've had glimpses of them. You know, mindfulness and investigation have been more explicitly here. Yeah. But also, you know, the energy, the joy, you know, the tranquility and calm, the gatheredness, yeah. the harmonization, the stability, yeah. the balance and the deep peace um, of equanimity. So we've had glimpses of them. And maybe we could already see that they're not limited to retreat setting. Yeah. So yes, conditions 
will change and conditions change all the time when you reflect on a retreat with all the support the conditions that's also been quite a bit of change hasn't there yeah. so conditions change but the same tools yeah, the same cultivations that brought us well-being on retreat can also support well-being for others and ourselves beyond retreat conditions beyond retreat conditions. So the possibility to relax contraction and ease demand. (laughs) You can tell that's one of my favorite practices, right? It's not random. Yeah, I did the contraction and Nathan did the unsatisfactory. (laughs) Sometimes, just to be playful, we do it the opposite way. But... um, the relaxing of contraction, the easing of demand, this is such a powerful tool that we can bring into our lives. You know, that sensitivity to notice the contraction, and that can be apparent to us in so many situations. And when we can relax that contraction, when we can ease that demand, that frees up energy yeah, that has been held up in that contractedness. And it frees up possibilities of movement and therefore possibilities um, of response. And I'm doing this with my body because it's the best way that I can explain it. If we can think, ah, when we're contracted, so limited in what we can do. And when we're relaxed or less contracted, possibilities open up of how we can attend, in what ways, what we can do. So as we relax contraction and ease demand, the possibilities open, the energy is freed. This is something that we can do. And I want to give two examples of this. So the first one is um, from someone who's been a real inspiration for me. Um, His name is uh, Rabbi Arik Ashman. And he's, uh, yeah... Bodhisattva, um, a human rights activist um, in Israel and Palestine, uh, deeply moved to act um, from his faith yeah, and his understanding of his path. Yeah. So very similar to the Dalai Lama, but less famous. Um, and some years ago, Quite a few years ago, uh, he wrote an article <laughs> called "Why I Did Not Listen to My Lawyer," and this is this is what I want to give as an example: yeah. why I did not listen to my lawyer. And so, in this situation, um, he had been uh, protesting. Um, this was within Israel, not in the occupied Palestinian territories, um, with some of the indigenous. Um, people of uh, the area who um, the state wanted to evict from their homes because due to their lifestyle, the state does not recognize that where they live is a legal place to live. And so it declares it um, illegal, wants to evict them and destroy their homes. And so he was uh, there with them um, 
with many other activists, you know, staying there to, to face the, the um, authorities and the bulldozers when they came. And so when they came, along with other uh, members of the community, he was arrested. And he was facing uh, this trial where he didn't listen to his lawyer. He was facing, um, I, think, I think it was a year in prison. <clears throat> but the state was offering a, a plea bargain and said, oh, if you uh, sign these papers that say that you promise not to be associated with these people for five years, then, uh, you know, we'll give you just a couple of weeks of community service. And his lawyer, whose job was to give him legal advice, said, take it. Take it. Of course, you know, then you can continue doing your valuable work, you know, what use will you be in prison, etc. And so Arik wrote this article and to explain why he wasn't listening to his lawyer, why he wasn't taking the plea bargain, and why he was um, taking the risk of going to prison. And uh, I want to kind of share kind of his process through the lens of these awakening factors. So we can say, uh, having the mindfulness, having the presence there, to stay attuned to what is unfolding, to stay attuned, what is going on? Yeah. What's going on in the situation? To also um, stay attuned to um, what is in alignment with my intention, yeah. my ethics, yeah. and what I want to stand up for in the world. Yeah. The investigation. Yeah. What are the possibilities and what would this lead to? This choice versus this one. Now, what leads to freedom and a wider sense? And what leads away from it? Yeah, so this questioning. Uh, what do I wish to feed in myself and in the world? Yeah, what do I wish to nourish in myself and in the world? Yeah. And how would these different actions, how would they do that? Yeah. And then kind of feeling the energy and harnessing the energy and enlivening the energy. So with all these awakening factors, you know, they, they're like seeds or they're like sparks that we can uh, nourish, that we can grow. And so kind of feeding the energy, um, which also arises from the alignment with ethics and intention. Yeah. Arises with, from the alignment with ethics and intention. And then nourishing that, yeah, to stay in that alignment, yeah, to stay in that alignment. And then that joy, it's interesting, <laughs> sometimes in these situations, and you could really feel it in, in what he wrote, there's a joy that arises when we are in alignment with our aspirations, with our values, with what matters to us deeply. Yeah? There's a joy there's a well-being that arises with that. And then the tranquility and the calm of doing what he felt was the right thing to do. Yeah. Doing what he felt was the right thing to do. So again, there's the, the um, energy that arises, there's the joy that arises, there's the calm and tranquility that arises. 
And that supports unification, that supports harmonization, supports a type of resilience yeah, that I've seen in him over and over again. And the equanimity, that stability in the face of adversity. Yeah. And the capacity to be equally close to all things. Yeah. To be there with that clarity, to have respect for his lawyer, but not to listen, yeah. not to follow the advice. Yeah. To not um, get into a relationship of enmity with those are, who are behind the, the harmful actions. <coughs> So this may feel like an extreme example. Yeah, sometimes I give extreme examples in talks. I try to limit them to the last day. Yeah. You can feel like an extreme example, and we might already be thinking, that's not me, that's not my life, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Maybe there's a little kind of whisper or quite a loud voice of that. And I want to really remind us, we're not asked or required to measure up to an ideal. These type of actions of um, beings, you know, they're there to inspire us and to remind us, just like these two behind me, to remind us of what's possible. But it's not an ideal that we need to measure ourselves against. What we're being asked to do is to bring our practice forth in our way, yeah? in our way, yeah? which is different for each of us at different times. Yeah? To explore what it looks like, what does my practice look like within life situations, yeah? within different situations, what does it look like? To explore um, what are bringing our practice forth, what it looks like via this particular body, heart, and mind, and the conditions that they're in, in a given situation. That's what we're being invited towards. We're invited to be um, as clear as we can about our aspirations and our intentions, and to um, explore what it means to be attuned to them, to be in harmony, with them, to be in alignment with them. And the most important thing that I feel we're invited to do as walkers of this path is to be willing to learn, to be willing to grow, to not put an expiry (laughs) date on our own growth. You see, this is all an opportunity. Can I be willing? to do this and to learn and to grow. And so I want to give another example. <laughs> this is from me. It's very different, I warn you. So, I had this situation in my life. I'm blushing already, it's quite embarrassing. Um, since December, uh, we moved into um, our own flat in December and uh, been trying to change, not everyone will be familiar with the system, but in the UK there's two types of meters, right, for your electricity and gas, there can be a pay-as-you-go meter and there can be a smart meter, so we've been trying to change our pay-as-you-go meter to a smart meter so that we can move providers to an ethical provider, <laughs> yeah, so since December, that's a pretty long time, right, 
And so this has involved many phone calls. Yeah. Many phone calls to the electricity company trying to get an appointment. And they're not only trying to get an appointment, but then having an appointment and the engineer not turning up after we've been there for four hours and then phoning them again <laughs> to say, what happened? And can we have an appointment? They say, no, there's no available appointment. Yeah. And some people are smiling that might be familiar with this situation to some degree. So... Uh, Nathan and I have a division of labour. I do phone calls. He doesn't, so. <laughs> it's been me making the phone calls. And it's been such a practice. Yeah. It's been such a practice. Uh, this is why it's embarrassing. Because in the first few times, and as you can imagine, if it's since December and there's been two missed appointments already, it's a lot of phone calls. Yeah. So in the beginning, I would just kind of be calm, and I'll be calm, and I'll be calm. And at some point, I would lose it. (laughs) And I would just kind of, just like my my rational mind just can't fathom what is going on and why I can't talk to someone who can actually tell me something that's relevant to the issue. Um, But after a few of those attempts, you know, even somebody relatively slow like me gathers that this is what's going to (laughs) happen. And getting angry and losing it is not going to be helpful, right? Yeah. You agree with me, right? (laughs) And so I say, okay, you know, I'm going to phone right now. (laughs) I'm going to be calm. And like I've told other people, I'm going to practice metta before. Yeah. And I'm going to make this commitment not to lose it. Yeah. Because I know it's not that poor person's fault. You know, they're just doing their job. And they're stuck in what I perceive as not a great job. Yeah? And so I make that commitment and I stay calm <laughs> and I stay compassionate and I stay metaphor for a certain degree of time. <laughs> and I lose it again. <laughs> and so this is where it's so important to remember this last thing that I said, the invitation to learn and grow. Yeah. And Nathan said to me a few times, so just leave it. <laughs> just forget it. We'll stay with this company. We'll stay with this place you go. Uh, meter, you know. We'll just bear it, you know. Just bear it. Something not ethical in our lives. Just bear it. And, and you know, with, you know, first it's my stubbornness of like, no, you know, I want to crack this. I want to deal with it. But then it's also, no, I want to I wanna crack the bigger thing here. Yeah, because it's not the first time this has happened to me. Yeah. It's probably not the last. Yeah. So I want to work towards this solution, yeah. both of the actual practical thing, but also yeah, walk the path, yeah. cultivate <coughs> the awakening factors yeah. in the moment. Yeah. In the moment. And this is a way to do it. Yeah. This is a way to do it. Yeah. So... Um, with a lot of compassion now, hopefully you can join me in compassion for those poor customer service people that have to face me uh, again and again. Um, but really, yeah, that, that sense of the commitment again and again, the intention again and again, yeah, not to fall into that or to know when to bring the conversation to an end before it yeah, falls off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> And the recognition of the failure. Yeah. Yeah. 
and how to work with that. Yeah. How to work with that. And the slow and steady change, because it is changing. Yeah. The slow and steady change. Yeah. One interesting thing that's been happening is they've started to ring me. So maybe, you know, we're all in this together and they also are doing their practice <laughs> and finding this now famous person in their company yeah, to see what is she going to do. And when I see that they're finding me, I laugh. So that's a real, real progress. So I'm giving this example, yeah, because I, I want to I wanna put these two... This is the same thing, yeah? So we have this inspiration of the Dalai Lama or Rabbi Arik or many other people, yeah, that we, you know, think, ah, oh, you know, so inspired by them. And we have our own seemingly, fa- seeming failures, yeah, which can also inspire us to practice, yeah, to remember, you know, none of this is a done deal, yeah. And what is it that I'm working towards? What is it that I'm aspiring towards? Yeah. To a place where we can together negotiate these areas, yeah. And we can bring that, you know, if I can bring it into activism, can I also bring it with the service providers? Can I do both? So uh, the invitation to us, our work, you know, is to bring the practice into our lives. Yeah, and we might choose just one way that we do it, yeah, or one area, yeah. But not to be afraid of failing, yeah. Not to be afraid of meeting the places that need our compassion within us, yeah, and that need our renewed commitment to get up and start again, yeah, to forgive, to learn, and to continue. So bringing forth the practice, you know, this is our work. It's, you know, how we interact with ourselves, how we interact uh, with others, you know, both those that are close to us uh, and both those that aren't. And how we meet the great challenges of our times, of which there are many. And it's really understandable that some of the time we feel overwhelmed. We feel overwhelmed uh, by you know the own, our own anger that can just get triggered yeah, towards somebody who's really innocent. Yeah. Yeah. So we might feel overwhelmed by that, yeah, and disheartened by that, or we might feel overwhelmed by um, you know the suffering in our world, yeah, or challenges that we might have in some of our relationships, and it's understandable that. We, you know, follow our negativity bias to see the, the half-empty part of the glass, yeah, sometimes. What isn't going well, yeah, what isn't developing, what isn't in alignment with my aspirations. Yeah, we can hold all of that with compassion and with the clarity of seeing. And remember, this also isn't the end of the path. <laughs> There's no expiry date on our practice and our path. So our practice is to remember this, to remember again and again that there's always something we can do. There's always something we can do. We can look 
at the conditions of our lives. We can choose ways of practice that are appropriate. Yeah, we can choose areas where we want to bring the cultivation yeah, of awakening to. Yeah. There's always something we can do. Always. Yeah. Always. Another way of saying it is there's never nothing we can do. Yeah. We can always forgive. We can always take a breath. Yeah. We can always feel the beauty of our intentions. Yeah. And let that hold us up and inspire us. We can remember that each of us and all of us were part of a network of conditions yeah, that are shaping the world in any moment. Yeah, in any moment, each of us is part of a network of conditions that are shaping the world that we perceive, that are shaping the world that we live in. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it really is a wonderful thing. Can we allow ourselves to feel the wonder and the possibility? Not the heaviness of that, but the possibility of that, the uplift of that. And that's something that we can do, might be take a breath. Might be bringing metta compassion to ourselves. Might be just smiling at someone. Might be appreciating the beauty of this world. So there's always the possibility to nourish yeah, energy, enthusiasm, aliveness, to open to joy yeah, and gladness and appreciation. To gather together yeah, the body, heart and mind, yeah, again, even just for a moment, to gather together, to ask the questions and investigate. Yeah, what is this? What is this and where is it going? Where is it leading? To pause and to celebrate the beauty that is here in every moment. In every moment there is uh, an act of kindness happening in this world. There's an act of courage happening in this world. In every moment someone is standing up for something that's important to them. What happens to us when we remember that? In every moment, there's someone somewhere on this planet sending metta to you. What happens when we remember that? When we open to that? Can we pause and celebrate and appreciate the goodness that is here, the beauty of the world and its joys and sorrows, and our place in it? Yeah, our place in it. So I want to share a, a part of an interview with uh, another bodhisattva. This is the talk of the bodhisattvas and me. <laughs> so uh, this bodhisattva is Vandana uh, Shiva. And I like to ask always, how many people have heard of her? Yeah, a few have. Yeah. One of the great bodhisattvas of our time. Activist, environmentalist, a great thinker and doer. Yeah, she combines the two. 
And uh, I was reading a transcript with an interview um, with her. And uh, she was asked, you know, how do you not burn out after so many years of activism? We can say after so many years of being on the front lines of meeting um, suffering, of meeting injustice. How do you not burn out? And here's her response. She says, and we're talking many years, we're talking decades and decades. (laughs) Here's what she says. She says, I don't see myself as an internal combustion engine that's being run on fossil fuels. <laughs> Just that is enough, isn't it? I don't see myself as an internal combustion engine that's being run on fossil fuels. I see myself as part of an amazing energetic universe. And being part of that universe is the regeneration. So living life to fullness means your own energies are regenerative. They don't expire. (laughs) Just get recycled and reused. And I'll end, it's the end of the interview, I'll end with a word we use for our women farmers in her projects in India. The word is shakti. The power to act. It's the name for women. It's a feminine energy. It's the name for the feminine power. We all have the power to act. We all have Shakti. And if your reference point is not outside of you, then you have power. If your reference point is the universe and amazing regenerative systems, and you just say, I'm part of you, universe. I'm in service of you universe. Why would you burn out? Yeah. Why would you burn out? And I love this. Uh, I was only going to do a little bit and then I couldn't just do part of the quote. I wanted to do the whole thing. Because yeah, I think it's so powerful. And we can see right, the power of practice here. Yeah. What, how we choose to look. Yeah. How we choose to look. Yeah. I see myself as part of an amazing, energetic universe. And she makes it sound easy, <laughs> but it's a choice yeah, that she's making and that she's been making for a long time. Yeah? And we can choose to do that. And when we choose to do that, we're energized. Yeah? And of course, we won't remember to do it all the time. Yeah? But that's our practice. And the more we do it, the more that our mind will incline to that way of looking, to that way of seeing, to that way of perceiving our place in the family of things, our place in the world. So what happens if we see ourselves, each of us, see ourselves as working in the service of goodness, in the service of the universe, in the service of the all, as the Buddha like to say, yeah. service of goodness, yeah. service of awakening, the service of the universe, the service of the all. Yeah. And we see ourselves as doing that, not as carrying a burden, but actually as having all of that energy, all of that support yeah. 
in whatever way that takes shape. Yeah? Whatever way that takes shape. And we only need to do it one moment at a time. Yeah? One action at a time. One word at a time. One choice at a time. Yeah? Don't need to figure it all out. <laughs> it's the next right thing. Yeah, the next right thing. So hopefully, yeah, we can feel that inspiration and that joy yeah, of walking this path, yeah, walking this path. Yeah. And feel the joy, we can feel the aliveness and feel the possibilities of cultivating that which frees for all of us, yeah, for all of us. And let's have a quiet moment together to bring us to a close. Right now, in this moment, feeling what's present, interested in what's possible, letting go of whatever contraction can be eased, opening to any wonder or appreciation that's available. May our practice continue to nourish our lives, our practice, and our path. And may our journey together be a support to the freedom of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.